0: So, uh, the, the first week was courage. I had to have the courage to tell you that we're going to be changing up the pews a little bit. Second week was commitment, where I talked about how the fact that whatever we do with our renovation, we have to be committed to because it'll never happen ever again. This is it until the Lord returns. This week is uh, devotion, Devoted. Um, and, and that's because, uh, that's what the text is going to be talking about, but devotion or devoting something is when you make it sacred. Um, and so we've got a, kind of some samples back there um, of a whole color scheme, and I just want to narrate really quickly what um, happened. So we, I, I, I had that pew thing out there, and I asked you to take a look, see what you thought, we got a lot of feedback. We gave that feedback to the interior designer, and the interior designer came back with a plan. And this plan, we're talking uh, the carpet. So the carpet would be replaced with um, wood-looking vinyl. And you can see, you can go over there after the service and look at the color of that. And that would be everywhere except where the middle pews are. The middle pews are staying. and We're going to replace that carpet... With a light gray, a lot of people were concerned it was too dark, and they wanted something lively and light. And so the interior designer, um, she, uh, Tamara, she came up with that. So there would be carpet under there. Uh, on the sides would be uh, chairs, and we have a sample of the chair. The one that has the wood back—that's the color of the chair that we're looking at. But the one, but it would have pads on back and bottom. And these chairs would come in three different colors. Five chairs of the neutral, followed by one of the like a color splash. Um, On top of that, we're thinking we're going to take away these stairs, um, make the pew straight up or the the stage straight up with um, some wood paneling. uh, Maybe a little bump out for me to be a little closer to you. We're talking. This this could really happen. And so I need you. I need you to go after the service and take a look at it. I'll send an email to, uh, with a picture, and so we can say as a church we're ready for this because I'm telling you, this is going to be absolutely beautiful, and it is going to be absolutely not 1994 anymore. <laughs> and so take a look at it. Let me know what you think. We're uh, we're we're you know we're we got a, we got an interior designer, so we okay anyway. With that, uh, this is a tough text, I'm not going to lie to you, but it is extremely important for Father's Day. Hold on to that, dads, because this text is going to tell you something. We're going to be hearing what dads are called to right here and right now in, the 20, uh, in 2022. So let's take a look. This is Joshua 6. Uh, this is the, the sack of Jericho. Uh, on the seventh day, they rose early at dawn and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. I'll talk about that in a second. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. At the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua, the leader, said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it shall be devoted to the Lord, devotion, for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, who we met last week, and all who were with her in her house, shall live because she hid the messengers we sent. It goes on. As for you, all of Israel, keep away from the things devoted To destruction, so as not to covet or want and take any of the devoted things, and make camp, make the camp for Israel an object for destruction, bringing trouble to it. But if you see any silver, gold, bronze, iron, we're going to make those sacred to the Lord. They're going to go in the treasury of the Lord, presumably to be used uh, for the um, the temple in, in the future. So the people shouted, the trumpets were, bl- were blown. As soon as the people heard the shout of the trumpets, they raised a great chow- shout, and the wall fell down, flat. So they, char- they charged straight into the city uh, and captured it. And then they devoted to destruction by the edge of the sword all in the city, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys. So let's uh, let's take a look. Uh, the first, where are we? Um, notice that last week we were talking about Rahab, the prostitute, and how she um, d- protected Israel's spies. Well, Israel has now crossed over uh, the Jordan River and is now approaching Jericho. Uh, Dennis and Sally, they've they've been here. They've been to where we are. We have a picture of some of the archaeological digs here at Jericho. They've seen this. And Dennis last week was telling me how uh, the Jericho is in a valley. And so if you were in the, the, the city of Jericho, you could look to the east up. Is it Mount Nebo? Dennis, where Nebo is where Israel's camped. And you could see them for a month while they were sitting there preparing for the assault. And so the people of Jericho know what's about to happen. And only one of them, Rahab, decides to honor Yahweh and, and, and change and, and repent and become part of Israel. The rest say no. So... The Israelites come, and then for like six days, they're walking around. Basically, God's like, you're not going to sack the city. I'm going to sack the city. If you think that your siege engines or whatever are going to get in, then that's not the case. I'm doing this. And so they came up with a plan where they circled the city for uh, several days, and they would, they would blow horns, and, and then they would circle and circle again, and, you know, terrifying probably the, the people of Jericho. And finally, on the seventh day, this is what happens. They shout, the walls fall down, and they go in. Yeah. And what is their instruction? The city shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. This, uh, depending on your translation, uh, this is the New Revised Standard. Uh, this, is, this, this devoted to for destruction gets translated a lot of different ways, and it's a weird word. It's, it's. Um, the noun is harem, and the verb is haram, and what it means literally is, is just to make something sacred, to 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 cleanse it for God, to make it. Uh, to make it special for God. Okay? So normally in the Old Testament, when you hear this word, it gets translated like, like um, oh, I'm going to devote uh, my life to uh, making the temple great, or something like that. That would be an example of, of uh, haram. Or, uh, I'm going to take this gold urn that's been in my family for generations, and I'm going to devote it to the temple so it's a special thing for God. Okay? Now, notice how this gets translated. That that destruction there, that's just added in English. That's not there. This is simply the Hebrew for, I am going to make this sacred. Look how it goes on. Um, Another example of the the use of this language. So keep away from the things devoted to destruction. Alright? So, there's stuff, right? We're going to go in and there's all these cool things that you want to have, silverware or whatever. And normally, in the ancient world, when you sacked a city, the point was to get booty. To go, you would go in and you slaughter everybody and you take their stuff. That was why that was kind of the uh, the inspiration or the incentive to be a warrior in the ancient world because you could get rich. Not so for Israel. Uh, Notice too that um, in the video games now, have you noticed that they actually have this dynamic? They're called loot boxes. So if you're playing a game like like and you shoot a bunch of people and you kill them, they 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 explode with items that make you rich. So, good job, video game makers. Notice, though, that the Israelites are not going to be allowed to touch it. Why? What does it say? It says, it will make the camp of Israel an object for destruction. It will bring trouble. That's kind of odd, right? It's kind of weird. So if you, if you have, like, a cow, um, and the Israelites don't slaughter, they bring the cow, they take the cow somehow that's going to make Israel an object for destruction. That's going to bring trouble to Israel. Why? Uh, or if, if they see, um, you know, if they bring the people with them and try to assimilate them into Israel, that's going to be a problem for Israel. Why? 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 Even at the end here, notice all the stuff that they devote, which means destroy, hack down, burn. Men, women, young, old... Ox, sheep, donkeys. You guys might remember uh, Christopher Hitchens. He died about a decade ago, I think. He was 62. I got a picture of him here. He, he was most famous for writing the book God is Not Great, Why Religion Ruins Everything. It's an entertaining book. I, 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 I enjoyed it. Um, but he has a actual, he has a whole chapter devoted to texts like this in the Old Testament where he's like, Come on. Are you kidding me? God? If God would say it's okay to go and slaughter men, women, children, even if that God did exist, we would be morally obligated to oppose that God. That's sick, right? That's sick. Who could possibly think it's okay to, they they call it devoting, what's our word for it? Genocide. Right? Right? And so he said, this is one of the reasons we know God's fake, because if there was a God, God would never, ever, ever command something like this. Right? Well, when he's he's picking quotes from the Old Testament, he misses this one. This is Deuteronomy 12. This is before the people enter the land or go to take the land. You must not worship Yahweh your God in their the Canaanites, the people who possess land, the people of Jericho, in their way. Because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things. Uh, that word detestable um, would be like, like horrifying or um, the thing that causes extreme revulsion. Things that Yahweh hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in fire as sacrifice to their gods. The translation there is really good because it brings out the fact that that the the thing that finally tips God over the edge is the burning of children, sacrificing children um, in fire, killing kids. But there's all kinds of stuff before that that God is revulsed by, is absolutely horrified by. And if we go back and look and we, we see what it is you're going to see, and we talked about last week um, that Rahab may have been a, a, a priestess or a, a, pr- a prostitute of um, the, the, the moon god um, they thought that Well, you can go back and listen to last week, but basically uh, sex um, and unrestricted sex, sex of all sorts and all kinds of that was part of their worship, it was part of their daily lives Violence. The Canaanites were renowned for their bloodthirstiness as they would commit violence against each other all the time. The fact of the matter is is that the Canaanites were a part of something where they would mix violence, sex, kids in horrible ways. I told you this before, um, I, I was 17, I think, when Saving Private Ryan came out, um, and my buddies and I we went to the big Newport, it was a big deal, and when we saw the movie, I, it, was, it was probably that and maybe Jurassic Park and then the Star Wars movies are the most singular experiences that I remember of being in a movie theater. And that's because those first 20 to 25 minutes, this is, you know, they'd never done the shaky cam before. Um, they, they'd never utilized surround sound like Spielberg did in that movie. Um, at, at the big Newport, being there, I was in a kind of shell shock, as some of the soldiers in the, in the movie are at the, in the first 20 minutes when they're storming the beach of Normandy. There's horrific violence. There's people with their arms cut off and their legs blown off, and they're screaming and crying. The, the sound, I, mean, I remember sitting there and ducking because I heard a bullet whizzed by my head. I had never experienced anything like this. And by the time, and, and it's a long sequence, it's, it's, it's relentless, it doesn't, The Spielberg's a master of, of beats and, and all of that, but he, he makes it so that this, this narrative just keeps going, it grinds you down as the violence continues, and continues, and continues. And then, Finally, the, the soldiers get to the top of the beach and they, they begin clearing out the, the murder boxes and all those things. And at one point, and I have a picture here, uh, two, two Nazis, they, they, they throw their hands up and they start obviously saying, don't shoot me, right? And the two American soldiers basically laugh and just gun them down in cold blood. Now, my entire upbringing up to that point the 17 years old had been based on the idea that Christians, you know, we detest violence. We, um, the hero never shoots someone who's unarmed. Batman never kills anybody. Um, we, I, I was, I was soaked in that sort of narrative. So that violence and, and killing to me was something abhorrent, horrific. But I remember for the first time in my entire life, when those Americans shot those unarmed guys, I went, yeah! Hell yeah! Because I'd seen evil, like real evil, and it had to be wiped out. Interesting fact, not a lot of people know this, but uh, those two soldiers, they're not speaking German uh, in the movie, they're speaking Czech. They're Czechoslovakian, and and what they're saying is, they're saying, we're Czech, we're not Germans, we didn't hurt anybody, please don't shoot. Spielberg left those subtitles out. But the the point of the scene was to to understand when you're in the face of something, of, of a certain type of horror, a certain type of evil, mercy is not the right solution. the so first thing here, no cheese. There is such a thing as intractable. Intractable meaning it can't be stopped. It's just, it's so built in. It's so ingrained evil. It's, it's a real thing. And, you know, Christopher Hitchens, great for him, you know, he lived a privileged, you know, upper-class life, and he was never faced in the, in, the, in the blood and the mud with real evil. He never saw it. And so he was able to laugh at God. For being horrified by what human beings can do. But then, of course, what does Hitchin say? He says, but what about the children? Well, we know, statistically speaking, that people who grow up in an environment of horrific violence and sex perpetrate it. Hurt people hurt people. And that's, I have a friend who, uh, he interned for the DA of of Los Angeles because he wanted to be a prosecutor. Um, And I remember him coming to our place and and talking about, after his internship was over, he said, I am never going to go into the, the district attorney's office. I was like, why? He's like, you have no idea the depths that people can go to. You have no idea that there are there is evil out there that is so sick, it's and it's always twisted up with violence and sex and minors, and it, it's so awful that like I could not face it. And this happens in a society like ours, which is generally nonviolent. We we still have some sexual mores, uh, s- some. Um, but it, our, our culture is basically like like against that stuff for the most part imagine being in an environment where that is celebrated where everybody their value is built up in the notion of unrestrained violence and sex and kids Christopher Hitchens you're wrong God wouldn't be god if he hadn't cleaned this up. Okay, well, what does that have to do with us? I mean, clearly we're not in Canaanite town. And dads, especially, I mean, what, what, are, what, are, what do we have? What does, this, what does this mean for us today? How, 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 how does Joshua 6 impact the way that we live? Well, I want us to think about it, um, and, and let's take, let's take a, a look here um, at one thing I, I think we need to start out. Number one, we need to be people who can call out evil. Uh, This is two slides forward, man. Do not be afraid to call out evil. I. That stuff could never happen here, right? Not in America. Not in the United States of America. Do you remember uh, the passage in Luke? It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea, this is Jesus, with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones, the children, to stumble. Over the last um, several years, I think what I've seen in the culture is something that used to be completely off limits is starting to not be off limits. Kids. I, um, I read a, an article just this morning. Uh, it was an interview with a 17-year-old female who had um, been caught up in, uh, in the trans stuff and um, became convinced at the age of 12 uh, that she was... Um, a woman trapped, or a man trapped in a woman's body and began taking, you know, hormones, puberty blockers, all that stuff. Um, and then at the age of 16, had her uh, breasts removed um, and, uh, uh, in order to more, And then at 17, um, when she she came to the realization that uh, that I'm not actually a man in a woman's body, I'm, I'm a girl. Oh, she'd had a... <laughs> A hysterectomy. And uh, her, her lead quote was, why didn't anyone protect me? So fascinating. By the way, just so you know, my cousin... Is a fully transitioned um, male to female. And, and I love my cousin dearly. And we have an amazing relationship. And our, her story is just, it's, it's not for here and now, but it, it's an, a crazy story. D- don't think for a second that I'm some kind of transphobe. Okay? Not. Nah. I had to get rid of Netflix. Because in the children's section of Netflix, my daughter Olivia was watching a show that that valorized and glamorized um, a certain type of uh, sexual slash non-binary slash whatever um, way of doing life, and I was just appalled. They're coming for your kids. We live in a culture now that has stopped protecting children. You believe that. And so we as people have to have the courage to call it out. I mean, I'm fortunate for now. There's no hate speech laws that prevent me from saying these things. But a lot of you are in situations where if you call these things out, you could lose your livelihood. I get that. I do. But we have to be able to call out evil if we can't do that if we if we're if we're not able to look at something and say this is horrifying the next thing pray and protect Pray and protect, because in the age of grace, vengeance is the Lord's. This is what I was talking about earlier. One of the interesting things about the Joshua narrative and the language of devotion, devoting for um, what we now think of as genocide, it's singular. It's a one-off. It's not anywhere else in the Bible. There's nothing like it. And I think part of the reason for that is that we live in the dispensation of grace, the age of grace. We live in a time where God is being exceedingly merciful. And God is saying, for now, you let me take care of wiping out the bad guys. You, for now, what your job is to be is to, is to pray, to protect the people that you love that are part of your life. Okay, that's, and and, and to, to proclaim my name, to evangelize. I am going to be the one who, at the, on, on last day, when, when there are these people who have committed this evil, I will be the one who takes care of it. Okay? Trust me, I'm not going to give up on that. But dads, you must protect your kids. You must be praying for your children without ceasing. Man, how many times I I walk by, I I got a picture here of what our kids are doing. They go to trans Tumblr. They develop a a network of friends on uh, the trans subreddit of Reddit. There are ways, their, their access is being, is threatening And trying to tell your kids, this is what life is like. This is what's good. And we have a duty as dads to say no. And it's hard to figure out where that line is, right? It's like, what do you do? I mean, I can already, it's is 10. Her cousins already have phones. And she's like, man, I want a phone. I'm like, no, not yet. I told her she's allowed to have a phone and date when she turns 18. What's that? Yeah. I think she's going to beat me down, though, Jack. I mean, I don't know how long I can hold out before she's like, oh, I love you, please, let me get a phone. Okay. But even if she does get a phone, like, what, what kind of, I mean, I mean, we have some responsibilities, dudes, to, to see what's going on with our kids. And, I, you know, there's software for that and all that. But please, don't just, don't just say, oh, it could, can't happen to me. It's not going to happen to our family. We're great. Nothing to worry about. Don't have that mentality, Fathers. Because it can and it does. I have a very good friend whose uh, stepdaughter is now, uh, she's 15, 16 years old, is now transitioning to a male, is, is about to begin uh, hormones. As a family that's been in church their entire lives. Last, but not least, commit to a culture of Shalom. You see, the reason that God's so horrified by unrestrained, violent sex and, and, and mixing that with minors, the reason that God gets so angry, so horrified by that, is because God's vision for human life is shalom. And shalom is what... Uh, I can tell you an example of shalom. When uh, we're, we're going to have the, uh, the great American coast family meet cook-off on August 14th. okay? It's the great American coast family... Meat cook-off. I have seen the trophy for whichever of you and women. You, of course, you can make your own brisket if that's what you do. But a lot of times, you know, guys tend to be in that way. We're not sexist here. Everyone can participate. Egalitarian. But we're going we're gonna to have a, a huge thing where we're going to have all the guys and, and ladies who want to c- cook come, come up with their smoked whatever, grilled whatever. You do your thing. Um, for the vegans, we will probably try to get a little soy. Um, It's not a joke. We do have vegans here. It is a joke. Um, (laughs) Sorry, Matt. Uh, And then, oh, uh, Lindsay's got this thing where we're going to like pump up like a whole bunch of bubble uh, foam. And it's going to go for, how long is the foam going to go? An hour of foam being blasted onto the field. And a huge water slide for the chillins. Right? So, they can run down there and then they can like roll around and foam and beat each other up. Uh, What else? Oh, we got to have cotton candy, popcorn, shaved ice. Look, all I can tell you is this thing is going to be off the hook. It's going to be insane. It's going to be delicious and we're all going to be having fun together. It's going to be safe and wonderful. That right there is the definition of shalom. Shalom is God's vision of peace and robust thriving for people where they do life together, where they love each other, and they prioritize the young. Even if you don't have kids, even if your kids are all grown up, Jack and Sue, even if you don't have enough grandkids, well, actually, that's one thing you can do here at the church. If you don't have enough grandkids, well, have some of ours. I can't stand my kids. You should, please, take them. Not forever. I think I could probably go about four days before I would really start to miss (laughs) him. That's what shalom is, though. It's taking care. It's creating uh, the family of God, and and it's encouraging and nurturing it so that everyone lives in a way that is joyful, that lives in a way that is holy and good. That's what we've been called to live. And dads, it's so important for you to lead the way on that by committing to being in church. The number one statistic that tells you whether or not your child will remain faithful after that child has gone through puberty and done a bunch of dumb stuff in their 20s, the number one thing that predicts that is their dad's going to church. Did you know that? Because there's something about that relationship between a father and a daughter or a father and a son that when, when, you know, because there's all this stuff. They think it's because, you know, we have these songs and people are waving their hands and like dudes are kind of like, I don't know if I'm really ready to sing this song to you, Jesus. It seems odd. Um, And so the kids, but the kids, when they see their dad in a situation, but still committed, they're like, he really believes this stuff. He really believes it. And this is where safety is. This is where goodness is. This is where the truth is. And as I always say, look, our culture of Shalom is rock solid and it's awesome. But if, it, if this place isn't for you, I'm okay with that. But I desperately want you to be committed somewhere so that your kids see what real life is supposed to be like. So that's the last thing on your note sheet. Instead of devoting to destruction, in the age of grace, we're uh, thankfully not being called to genocide because I don't think I can handle that. Uh, We are called to be devoted to our descendants. And those are spiritual descendants, not just biological ones. If you are here in this church, you have descendants. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, male or female, you have spiritual descendants in this place. Our call is to be devoted to them 100%. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for being our dad. We thank you for your heart, a heart of love, a heart of giving, a heart that goes out and especially cares for the little ones. God, I pray that this church will be filled with dads and grandfathers and great and great great grandfathers we're all in to name evil, to pray and protect, to commit 100% to a culture of shalom. I pray that our kids would be protected from the madness of the world, the, the, the beginnings of Canaanite sickness in our culture. God, I pray that we'll be active in our fight against it. On this Father's Day, God, give every man here, every boy here, a heart for the church, a heart for you, a heart for shalom, for peace. And may in that, you, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, who brings us to grace and showers us grace, in grace we pray. In his name we pray. Amen.